This is First Up on TSN 1050. You ain't first, you're last. Coming up a little bit later in the show, we'll do winners of the Christmas weekend. It's spoiler alert. I imagine myself, Matthew Cause, or Carlo Koliakovo, or Al's brother will mention Joe Flacco, and rightfully so. The most impressive win this past weekend was the 49ers losing 33-19 on Christmas night to Baltimore. And after falling down 5 nothing, yes, that is a baseball score, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense put up a field goal, a touchdown, a field goal, a field goal, a touchdown, and a touchdown. They would punt when they were up by 21 in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson has now leapt over Brock Purdy. He's now minus 170 on FanDuel to win the MVP. And Carlo, to say the MVP race is over is ridiculous because there's one obvious name out there that could still win it. I'm trying to guess at who this name could be. Is it Christian McCaffrey? It is not, even though he is second. He is second right now in uh, MVP voting, but it is not Christian McCaffrey because the NFL's war on running backs continues. Shame on them. It's Tua Tagovailoa. Miami, ah. Miami's eleven and four. Baltimore's twelve and three. They play this coming week. If Miami wins and Tua has a big day. You know, Al's brother talked about it, how Jacksonville a couple of weeks ago was able to put up a lot of yards against the Ravens' defense. They weren't able to score because a lot of dumb mistakes by the Jags, which, by the way, that's a theme all year. But if Miami wins and Tua has a big day after his game-winning, field goal-winning drive against Dallas last week, I'll tell you right now, a Miami win over Baltimore, Miami getting the number one seed, Tua putting up big numbers, at 10 to 1, Tua Tungamayola represents value in MVP voting. Look, the, the fact that you just presented it like that, um, you know, makes it a very strong case. There's a lot of ifs there. Um, yes, there is. I, I, and and if, if all those things play out, you're, you're absolutely right. Tua could make a strong case for, them, for himself. I just think, like, what Lamar Jackson did against you know, the, what people label the best team in the NFL and the San Francisco 49ers, I think has sealed the, the deal for him to win the MVP. Cause look, he's had an MVP season. You just look at the season he's had. I mean, both with his arms and with his leg and the team record and stuff like that. I just think with Tua, he's had an unbelievable season. I'm not trying to downplay that, but he's also had like, like, like a couple duds. In yes, his, he is in his, you know, in, throughout the course of his season. Now, Tyreek Hill has missed a couple of those games. Now they lose Jalen Waddle to a high ankle sprain. Uh, they, they've they've had a really really strong running game with their their running backs that they rotate. I I, I don't know, man. I I don't Hold see Carlo. I, I I don't see Miami going into I don't see Miami going into Baltimore, and even putting up a fight against that Ravens team who literally. That game is going to be for first place in the AFC, and Al's I just don't, brother, I, I don't see I don't see Baltimore losing that game. Well, my question for you is like, how can you not look at Miami and and a lot of people like to use the argument against Brock Purdy, who yeah I guess he's kind of fallen out now after that that loss this weekend, but the argument's kind of been well look at the weapons around him, like obviously he's going to succeed. 
you can kind of use that same situation with Tua. Like, look what Tyreek Hill has been able to do for that guy. So is it is it really Tua who's been the most valuable to that team, or has it been Tyreek Hill? Has it been Raheem Mostert, who's got like 21 touchdowns? It's Tyreek Hill. It's Tyreek Tyree Hill. Hill. I mean, Tyree look at the Hill's game. Look at the game against person. Tennessee. Tennessee. Tyreek Hill goes out of the game, and, Mi- and Miami's completely lost on offense. Right. So, yes. so that's right. that's what I mean. Like, so if you're looking at a, a potential MVP for a specific team, you got to think Tyreek Hill might even be ahead of Tua. But they don't do that. They're not going to give it to the receiver. Unfortunately, they're going to go to the quarterback. But guys, um, Miami, they beat Baltimore, and they can absolutely beat Baltimore. Then they end the season against Buffalo. If we talk about the MVP, how much of that is about narrative and how much of it is what we saw recently? If Miami wins their last two games, that would mean they have beaten Dallas, Baltimore, and Buffalo. That is as tough as If Miami wins the next two games, yes. Cause if Yeah. Yeah. Tua's gonna win it. That's it's that's a lock of all locks. Yeah. But Again, we're talking if I I don't if, I don't see Miami going into Baltimore and winning. I mean, Miami has one signature win all year, and it was last week against Dallas. They have ne- they have not beaten a good team all year, except for the Dallas Cowboys. And and do we even say Dallas is a good team? Because Dallas, yes, they are. If you, they are a good team. At home, they're a good team, Matthew. On the road, they're, if Dallas, they're if as Dallas good as the Arizona Cardinals. <laughs> I understand that. Oh, I know. I know. They're, they're a weird team. But if Miami isn't a good team, then there's almost no good teams. Maybe we just say every team is the same, except for maybe the Ravens. No, my, and, Miami, and the Miami is a good team. I'm not trying to yes. take that away from I'm just saying, aside from Dallas, and can we even say Dallas is a really good team? Because on the road, like their, their home road splits are, com- are two completely different teams. They are. Completely different teams. All right, Carlo, next question for you. Who's been more disappointing? The Kansas City Chiefs are 9-6 and six despite the number two defense and Mahomes hasn't missed a game. Or what about Jacksonville? They are 8-7. and seven. They have lost four in a row. They've had a much easier schedule. They've had Trevor Lawrence, who's been banged up here or there, but they've had Trevor Lawrence for most of the season. And I bring this up because in the year of the backup quarterback, Having a quarterback healthy all year is now a is a luxury that most teams don't get to have. More disappointing, Jacksonville at eight and seven or Kansas City at nine and six. They're both equally disappointing because you everybody have to pick expected. One. This is sports talk well, radio. I, I'm gonna go. All right. They're both equally equally <laughs> disappointing because I think Jacksonville. Most people expected them to take another step this year. Yeah, and. For the first half of the season, it looked like they were en route to do that. And then they just gone back to their old Jaguar days over the last couple weeks. But the most disappointed team is the Kansas City Chiefs. And Kansas City is lucky again in the sense that they play in a horrible division. Because if there was anybody good in that division, they wouldn't even have won it this year. Like... You talk about the down year the Chargers have had. You know, yeah. Denver was supposed to be that team that challenged them. The Vegas Raiders right now are the team sitting in second place, and they've already had a coaching fire over there. Mm-hmm. And they 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 have Aiden O'Connell as their quarterback. Like the Kansas City Chiefs are lucky that even in a a bad year that they're having, they still don't have anybody that is challenging them for the division. And I think for the Jacksonville. Jaguars, 
you know, Indianapolis has been a surprise team this year. Houston has been a massive surprise team this year. And I think that's why we look at Jacksonville differently is because they have lost four in a row, but they're also in jeopardy of missing the playoffs because there's two other teams in the division that are challenging them. So I, I, I still think that Kansas City, just because of what you said about their defense, just because of what you said about their health, and let's be honest, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, he has uh, he has numbers as good as Baker Mayfield right now. Oh, Baker Mayfield has better numbers. Baker Mayfield <laughs> has better numbers. Now, Baker Mayfield has, has got, you know, maybe has more weapons around him. But, no, Baker Mayfield's numbers are incredible. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane to see how good he's been. But just with Kansas City, Aiden O'Connell doesn't complete a pass after the first quarter. And the Raiders beat the Chiefs um, over the weekend. Like, and, and maybe, as I said before, the biggest winner here is Eric Bieniemy. Kansas City had the top-ranked offense in 2022. The enemy goes off to Washington. And now Kansas City's offense, it, a lot of it, again, is Kadarius Tony and bad receivers. But uh, I think one of the big winners here is, is Eric Bieniemy. Also, the other, uh, the other question, and I don't know if we have time for an answer for this now, who's the second-best team in the NFC? Is it Philly? Is it Detroit, who wins their first division in 30 years? Is it the Dallas Cowboys that look like two very different teams, depending on their geography? Is there a definitive number two team in the NFC? Um, I, I In my eyes, there is. I think it's the Eagles. Mm-hmm. But there's a debate, for sure. I mean, why can't the LA Rams right now be the second best team in the NFC? The way they're playing lately? Yeah, they're, they're play, I would say the Rams right now are playing far better than the Eagles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the Eagles, they even struggled a bit against the Giants. And the Giants are an absolutely horrible team. You know what? We'll continue with this. Uh, Jason Logan, NFL betting analyst with Covers.com, is going to join us. We'll look back at the last week, and he's got a couple. He's uh, already he's looked ahead to week was it week eight? A week, uh, week seventeen. I get, I keep forgetting which week it is. We're in that week between <laughs> Christmas and New Year's. Everything is confusing to me. So he'll join us on the other side. A reminder: This hour first up is brought to you by Lease Busters. More NFL talk with Jason Logan next. Welcome back, everybody. It is a rainy, kind of gross Wednesday morning here in Southern Ontario. Thank you so much for listening. This is first up. I'm Matthew Cause. That is Carlo Koliakovo. Joining us now. From Covers.com, NFL betting analyst, but more than just that, senior industry analyst, it's Jason Logan from Covers.com. Good morning, Jason. Thanks for joining the show today. Doing well, doing well. So, Jason, um, my contention is that in the year of the backup quarterback where everyone (laughs) is injured, the Kansas City Chiefs are the most disappointing team in the NFL. They got quarterback health with Patrick Mahomes. They have the number two ranked defense in terms of yards allowed and points allowed. And I know they're going to win their division. They're going to have a winning record. But I tell you at the beginning of the year, Mahomes misses no time, and they've got the number two ranked defense. I imagine you think their record is better than nine and six. Yeah, I mean, you'd want to to say that. Uh, I I believe that loss to the Raiders um, this week uh, puts them under their season win total at most places. Mm-hmm. So a disappointing season for anyone who was backing the Chiefs for that Super Bowl 
uh, you know, they, to keep it rolling after the Super Bowl. But it was a tough matchup for them in that game. And I think the injury to Isaiah Pacheco was a big thing because once he went down, that offense got very one-dimensional, and the Raiders didn't have to worry about the run. They were able to bring a lot of pressure. They play that deep shell. Um, they protect against those home run balls. And then they were getting great pressure on Mahomes and, and kind of taking away the short hits by keeping him on the run and, and making him throw some bad throws out there. So it, it, while you know it was a divisional win, and I want to say you know we want to give some credit to the Raiders, um, you know it was a, a bad situation with Pacheco going down. I think it could have been a very different ball game then. It could have been a lot more balanced. But I mean, again, it's this receiving core as well too. They're they're letting him down, and, and the, the drops continue to happen. We saw Kelsey even shorthanded Travis Kelsey drop some balls there in that game on uh, Christmas Day. So. Um, you know, as, as much as you want to point to Mahomes as as the quarterback, I think the guys around him just haven't haven't stepped up as well either. So, and it's and it, 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 I feel bad for the defense because that's kind of the one thing that um, always came on late in the season. But the Chiefs have been able to kind of hold that defensive um, intensity all season long, and the offense has come up short. So, I'm sure they're going to figure this stuff out. I wouldn't start counting out KC, uh, especially if they get those home games at Arrowhead. Well, that's what I just wanted to follow up. That question was: If the playoffs started today, mm. would you feel confident to bet against the Chiefs, or are they still the team to beat in the AFC? Uh, I mean, I guess it's all going to depend on the number. But as long as they're at home in a playoff game, um, you know, Andy Reid is going to be a better coach than than most of the coaches he's matched up against. And you have to kind of have the confidence in Patrick Mahomes to kind of rise to the occasion. Um, and like I said, this defense has continued to play well all year. So, I mean, you match them up against a lot of teams uh, that they're going to have the coaching advantage and the defensive advantage and then likely the quarterback advantage as well, too. So uh, I'm not, not bailing on the Chiefs just yet. And by the way, it needs to be said, when I look at the 9-6 and record, it's not me saying it's on Mahomes. It's the fact that they've had him healthy. All these other teams are losing their quarterbacks. They're nine and six with a healthy quarterback, a healthy Mahomes, mm-hmm. and that defense. To me, it's remarkable. You uh, know who the playoff top. matchup would be today if it started, Matthew? Who? Who would it be? Kansas City hosting the Buffalo Bills. Ooh. I take the bill, Jason. Okay, let's go there for a second. I would All take right, Buffalo. It's revenge of the last the third the, 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 that crazy playoff game a couple of years ago. I think I actually I would feel pretty confident taking Buffalo. Just because, I mean, with Kansas City, we've seen these issues all year with their offense. And, uh, yeah, I think I would take the Bills. I don't buy into the – like, if you need revenge to get up for a playoff game, then yeah. there's something, something then broken with your team. It's a playoff game. You've got you've to be ready to go no matter the circumstances or, or narrative around it. If it's in Arrowhead, I think it's a different situation. Um, you know, Kansas City – we've seen Kansas City drop some games on the road. But I think if this game, if that game is an arrowhead, I'm leaning towards Kansas City. Wow. Who is who is your silver medal team in the NFC? 49ers, <laughs> even despite what happened against Baltimore, they're they're the gold. Who's second on the podium? Philly, Dallas, or Detroit? And by I heard your laughter, it means you probably could maybe just throw a dart at any one of the three. But is there yeah. one that st- is, is, uh, or is the real issue that they're all sort of clumped together? Yeah, nobody necessarily wants to win this division. Uh, that's that's the weird thing. Uh, I I want to say the Eagles because I uh, while while they seem to be like in panic mode, eleven and four, you know they're switching out, uh, getting Matt Patricia in there, calling the plays to kind of demote the uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, there's a lot of kind of 
uh, rumblings out of the locker room that their their players are unhappy with the offense. It seems one dimensional for them. Um, you know, the, this is still a team that has a very good defense, a very good offense, very good two way team. The, the thing, like you'd say, the Detroit Lions maybe two two B because they're they're playing well and they they could score, but that defense is still an, an iffy situation. You look at Dallas. Dallas still, you know, they have a win over the Eagles. We're kind of stumbling in that long stretch of that gauntlet that they had to run through November and December and caught them at a, a bad spot. Uh, but the Cowboys, and I'm a Cowboys fan, I mean, it's it's one of these teams that you just, if they have to go on the road in the playoffs, it's going to be a big, big issue, and it looks like they're going to have to. So um, I would say, I would say, I guess my silver medal is the Philadelphia Eagles because I still think their ceiling is much higher than what we've seen. They're not playing their best football right now, which could be a problem. Let's see what they do the next two weeks. Jason, um, I know you like to put a couple of wagers in, but I've been known I've been known to do that from time to time. Yeah. Do you think a good value future play mm. would be the Cleveland Browns to win the Super Bowl? Oh my God! So we're talking plus five thousand right now. I mean, Joe Flacco is incredible right now. What he's doing. This well, guy is a young Patrick young Mahomes Mom. right now. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, young Patrick Mahomes. Um, the Flacco thing worries me because, I mean, as much as his yardage has been great and the touchdowns have been great, he's thrown a ton of INTs as well, too, and those are just backbreakers in a playoff game. And then Cleveland, one of these two face teams where the defense has just been phenomenal at home. Mm-hmm. They haven't been able to replicate that thing on the road as well, too. They're probably going to have to head on the road somewhere. So, uh yeah, no, no. I think that's. I, I think there's probably a better way to to spend your money right now. Not even a be, sprinkle. Wow, that defense sales out there. Yeah, I know. I I like it though. I I like it, Carlo. It's your YOLO bet. It's you know, it's the opposite of uh, taking the cowardly way. Uh, Jason, how many points would the 49ers have to be favored by for you to bet on Washington to cover? Uh, the Commanders, they're they're getting locked into a top three draft pick. The 49ers yeah. got to be ticked off after losing to the Ravens. What does that number have to be before you say, ah, I'll take Washington? I, and I did bet I did bet San Francisco um, minus 13 and a half, getting under that key number of of 14. This, the Niners, I will say, have uh, if you go look at that their their ATS success this year, it hasn't been great, and it hasn't been great as big favorites. They've kind of let taken their foot off the gas a bit in the second half, and we've seen teams kind of challenge them in the second half and upset some of those those bigger numbers when they're laying some of the bigger numbers out there. Um, I think like the Tampa Bay game there a little while ago, they had Seattle. Seattle had come back on them a little bit. They were sixteen and a half point favorites. But, I mean, you say with Washington, yeah, this is a team that even – and the funny thing is, is so Montez Sweat, they, they traded him to Chicago at the deadline. And a few weeks ago, Montez Sweat said, oh, it's so nice to be in a team that actually cares. And he was like, that locker room over there in Washington, they're, they're counting down the days until the season ends. And I think any fuel or any hope that was left in the tank with the Washington commanders died on the field in East Rutherford on the, uh, in Week 16. They had that big comeback. They bring in Brissett. Uh, they had a big comeback. They lose on that last-second field goal to the Jets. So I think any hope or any motivation for them is just quashed. Then they, there's a ton of a kind of uncertainty around this team as well, too, in terms of the quarterback position. They bench Sam Howell two, two weeks in a row. 
Uh, Ron Rivera likely going to be gone. They're going to be shopping for a new GM as well, too. It's a brand-new ownership there for Washington. They're probably going to try to make a, a big splash in terms of coaching. And then, like you said, they got that number three pick, so they're probably going to go after that. Uh, was it Drake May from UNC? He's he's kind of floating around that number three pick, depending on where Harrison goes. So, yeah, not a lot of motivation for Washington to show up in this game at all. So uh, I would say I'm, <laughs> I'm good and comfortable at the 13-and-a-half right now. Yeah. Yeah, I would say maybe maybe like a an under 17, 16 and a half, maybe. <laughs> uh, Jason, uh, did Brock Purdy cost himself the MVP with that performance? And if you're a betting man, who are you betting on to win the MVP with two weeks left? Uh, definitely didn't help his case. And then we see Lamar jump uh, as high as he did there. He was kind of what, like the second or third overall choice now, sitting like minus 170 range. Um, Dak absolutely off the board now too, plus twenty two hundred. I I don't want to bail on Brock Purdy mainly because they play Washington this week, so I think he can very much atone for those four interceptions and in a, in a kind of a bum game against a, ba- a very good uh, Ravens defense. Washington, if there's any team where he can light them up and have like a four hundred yard day with three touchdowns and absolutely decimate a defense, that's this Washington defense that has just been burned by the passing game. So I would not kind of pull the parachute yet on Brock Purdy. It's really going to come down to, because, you know, these these things are voted on, and you can look at Lamar, and if the Ravens continue to win out, I think Lamar is the guy. Brock Purdy, the stats are there to back Brock Purdy in terms of, like, all the QB ratings, whether it's advanced or basic stats. It's all there. He's, he's, he's high up on the board, and the wins are there to back him up, but you're going to have people voting on this saying, well, they, you know, it could be anyone in there. Anyone can throw a a screen pass and anyone can throw these short little slants and stuff like that. Um, so you kind of have to judge what is the common consensus. But for me, I mean, Lamar Jackson is, is the, 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 the guy that stirs the drink there for Baltimore. So it's tough to say it's not him. And then Christian McCaffrey moving up as well, too. This is a guy who I actually bet to win offensive player of the year before the season started. Yeah. So that one's looking, that one's looking pretty good. At least if Tyree kill uh, kind of slows down here over the next few games. So it could be something where McCaffrey gets Offensive Player of the Year and then Lamar Jackson gets MVP. But I, I wouldn't pull the parachute on Brock Purdy yet. I think he's, he's set up for a game, uh, a redemption game here against Washington. Jason, always appreciate. Everyone go to Covers.com. Check out his piece now on some of the bets he likes for the upcoming NFL week, including eh, maybe this is the week to bet big on the Dallas Cowboys. But you got to go to Covers.com to check that out. Jason, thanks so much for joining the show. Thank you, guys, and Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you as well. So are are we there, Carlo? What do we do now for this week? Is there any more Merry Christmas, or are we moving ahead to to Happy New Year? What's that? Christmas is over. Okay, so there's no more Merry Christmas. It's just strictly now Happy New Year. Okay. I wanted to to make that official. Um, Were you telling me during the break, Carlo, there's like five or six people left in the first up football survivor pool? Five people left, and I said it to you. Wow. I was like, we're going into week 17, and with all the upsets that we've seen this year, it's pretty amazing that there's still five people left in week yeah. 17. It really is. It's inc- like Whoever they are, you, um, you are better than we are. Go to tsn1050.ca. Really, this message right now is to five people. 
Hey, this Govix member for the for the Survivor Pool, last person standing, will win a set of Rodex tires with installation at your local Cal Tire and twenty five hundred dollars. Full mm-hmm. contest rules available at TSN1050.ca. Brought to you by Rodex Tire, an exclusive Cal Tire brand. Coming up, Ian Mendez in about 15 minutes talking about the Ottawa Senators. He covers them for the Athletic. But on the other side, there was a result last night. History was made in the NBA, and if you're a Raptor fan, it should scare you. We will explain in a moment right here on First Up. Welcome back, everybody. This is Gameplay, and this is Inspiring Music. Can we use this music to pump you up for the Toronto Raptors and the Washington Wizards? Probably not. But with this music playing, Carlo, in one corner, the Toronto Raptors looking for redemption. Are they seven games under 500? Yeah, they are. Okay, never mind. Okay, uh, uh, on the other side, the Washington Wizards. They're... Uh, five and twenty-four. Where, where'd that music, Christy Avero? I, I need that music. <laughs> uh, oh, oh! In the last twenty-two games, Jordan Poole and those Warriors from Washington are uh, okay. They're three and nineteen, and all right, they they lost by eight to Orlando, and it's actually back to back for the Washington Wizards. The Raptors, Carlo, they're going to win this game because Washington's even worse, and it's back to back. Is it guaranteed win night tonight for the Raptors, there, Carlo? No. It's not guaranteed oh. win night. Come on, this is the Raptors we're talking about. This is a team that finds more ways to beat themselves than they're actually the opponents yeah. beating them. But if you're looking at the bright side here, you did a good job at uh, trying to hype this game up and hype this team up. Could we potentially see a winning streak here for the Raptors? Wizards oh. and Pistons back-to-back? Could the Raptors win back-to-back games and maybe try to win three in a row so Darko Ryalkovich could take the whole team out and buy them dinner like he promised they, that he would if they won three games in a row? Mm. <laughs> um, probably not. Um, actually, let me ask you, Carlo, because it's, it's funny. I look at every uh, – the, the Pistons, they lose NBA record, 27th straight loss. They lost to Brooklyn last night. And they're now two games away from taking on the Raptors. Their next game against the number one team in the NBA, Boston. Boston will probably win that game. So then Toronto's got to take on a team that will have lost 28 in a row. During your playing days, did you ever have that where you were taking on an opponent that was so bad? You were like, guys, we can't be the team that gives a W to that stinky team. Because I feel there's a lot of pressure on NBA teams. Like, "Uh uh-oh, it's the Pistons. We don't want to make headlines by being the team that loses to those losers. Yeah. You know what? Not to this extent did we play a team that was on the verge of historical losing streak. Oh, no, they're there. They're there. The Pistons are there. They set the record. Oh, yeah, no. Straight losses. No, no. Yeah, they got history. I get that. I'm just saying yeah. I've never – you asked me in my own experience. I've never, yeah. you know, played against a team that was, um, you know, embarking that type of record. But I have played a, against teams that were on, like, seven or eight game losing streaks, and those are scary games to play because, you know, the game probably means a lot for you and nothing for them, and you don't want to be the team that ends up being the team that they beat to get out of their streak. So, and I've always said this, and, you know, you can ask players that continue to play the game. The hardest games to play in the National Hockey League are the games 
near the end of the season when you're playing against teams that you look at the standings, they're supposed to be one of the worst teams in the league, but they are the hardest games to play and get results out of because you're just not meeting that same level of intensity that those teams that are supposed to be bad are playing with because as a player, some of the the, the best games you find yourself playing are when you really got nothing to lose when you're playing. Right. Right? You're out there. You're doing less thinking. You're free. You're playing. Plus, you've got guys that have been called up from the minors that are playing for a ton on their own, either a job in the lineup or a contract for the following year. And that's why late in the season you always see those upsets happen because the team that is supposed to win doesn't play at the same level of intensity as the team that's not supposed to win. So this is probably going to be somewhat similar to what we see tonight with the Raptors and obviously the next game against the Detroit Pistons where, man, that would be funny. It would be funny, but it would also be embarrassing because... It would be depressing. But, yes, I I see the comedy. You're absolutely right. There is is dark comedy in whoever, whichever team it is that loses uh, to the Pistons. Well, here's the thing, Matt. Here's the thing. I mean, the, 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 the Pistons are about to break the record. And... No, no, they broke it. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but they've broken it. They they are now your NBA leaders all time in okay. consecutive losses at. Okay, so don't disrespect the Pistons. Don't I, disrespect my their record. Shame. My on apologies. You. We should actually listen to some audio from Monty Williams, the guy who got paid a boatload to coach this coach. team. <laughs> all right, let's let's do that right but now. But hold on, hold on. Before idea. before we go there, I just want to put a bow on this. Yeah, the team that you don't want to be right now is the team that goes into the record books as the team the Pistons beat That's my point. to finish this streak. That's yes. why they're, they're the Pistons are a scary team. That's why I was hoping the Nets would have lost and then the Pistons yeah. would have won and it would have the, the, the energy of that game would be different. Okay, the highest paid coach in the NBA, Monty Williams, on setting the consecutive NBA losses record. You have to be real about where we are. Nobody wants something like this attached to them the bottom line is it's 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 my job it's my responsibility been through tough playoff losses and um, this is relative to that when you lose a playoff game when you get eliminated something that this you know kind of feels like that um what you know basketball is what we do it's the body of body of work that we um take a lot of pride in and you take pride in it because you want to win. And we just haven't done that. And, again, that's on me. So hold on a second. He's taking the blame as the coach for all this yeah. because he's comparing yeah. it to losses that he's endured in the playoffs versus. That's right. What? This is the, the feeling's not even eerily similar. Not even close. Uh, when you lose in the playoffs, it's because you're massively disappointed because you couldn't advance farther. Dude, you've lost 20, was it 27 games? 27. 27 games. 27 games in a row. That's not the same feeling as losing in the playoffs. Clearly, the Pistons have broken his brain. Let's hear from their star player, Kate Cunningham, on setting the NBA losses record. Don't jump off the boat. we got to stay together. Uh... Right now is the easiest time to to stand off and, and be on your own. Um, 
but we need to continue to lean on each other and continue to push each other and hold each other accountable more than ever now. There's nothing positive about this situation right now that we put ourselves in. So uh, that's where we got to dig deep and get ourselves out of it. And Kate Cunningham put up 41 points. He tried to will them to a victory yesterday, yeah. and clearly that wasn't good enough. So let's just get clarification on this because 20 Fingers just sent us um, a note on the record. So the Pistons right now broke the record for longest losing streak in a single season. Correct. But the longest losing streak record overall is still up for grabs. Ooh. And that record is a continuation from last year's. It's a oh, carryover okay, gotcha. from last year's season. Right, right. AB, do you need to say something? Well, I believe that record can be broken in the Raptors game, if I'm yes. not mistaken. That's why so I was saying the record wasn't broken. Because that the, if the – well, when the Pistons lose tonight or their next game against Boston – then the game against Toronto is for that overall record. That right. We're you know about. what? I want to apologize to not only the listeners, a first up, I want to apologize to the 2015 uh, Philadelphia 76ers, <laughs> trust in the process, 28, yes. 28 straight losses over the span of, uh, of more than so they're season. at 27 now. That yes. It will be 28 against Boston, and then the game oh, against the Raptors oh, oh, be will be the game that uh, oh. ultimately is for the record books. Yes. Yes, yes. So also, Pistons w- money not... line, gentlemen. Pistons money line will be there. Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> By the way, speaking of apologies, I would like to apologize ahead of time, Carlo, to the fine nation of Sweden. Some breaking news in the World Juniors. Uh, Sweden defenseman Elias Sampsonson was suspended <laughs> one game for his hit on Latvian forward Emils Vectatkins. Vectatkins. Uh, Vectatkins. So uh, Elias Sampson. Nailed it, Maddie. Nailed it. Sampson has been suspended one game for his hit. Uh, also, Slovakia beat Switzerland 3 uh, nothing. That final score, they'll remember, two of those goals were for empty netters for Slovakia. So that game was closer than we thought. And that is your World Juniors update slash uh, my uh, horrible ability to pronounce names from Europe. Coming up on the other side of the show, Ian Mendez, senior hockey writer with The Athletic, covering all things Ottawa. It is the Sens. It's the Leafs. Tonight, 7 o'clock right here on TSN 1050. We look ahead to that game. Bigger picture thoughts on all things Ottawa. That's Carlo. I'm Cause. This is First Up. Sweden defenseman Elias oh. Sampsonson. <laughs> Good morning, everyone. This is First Up. I'm Matthew Cause. That's Carlo Koliakovo. Busy day on the station today. One o'clock, Canada versus Latvia in the World Juniors. Then seven o'clock tonight, it is the Toronto Maple Leafs taking on the Ottawa Senators. Joining us now to talk all things Ottawa hockey and whatever else comes up from the Athletic Senior Writer, it is Ian Mendez. Ian, good morning. Thank you for joining the show. Yeah, happy holidays, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, happy holidays to you. All right. I want to start big picture, and then we'll you know, start drilling down a little bit more. What does a successful season now look like for the Ottawa Senators, and how much does that successful season, how much has it changed since the start of the year? Yeah, I, the goalposts have moved, right? Like, I don't think there's yes. any doubt, because I think a lot of us in this market came into the year saying, 
they should be a playoff team, or at the very worst, you do kind of what you did last year, and at the end of the year, you're pushing, pushing, pushing for a playoff spot. And I, I don't think there's anybody in their wildest imaginations that thought, you know, we'd be having this conversation just before the calendar flipped to 2024, and we're firing up the Tankathon app, and we're talking about, uh, you know, you know, rebuild and all that stuff. So when you talk about what a successful season entails from now, now that, you know, again, the goalposts have moved, moved. I would say it's, it's time to figure out who's part of this core for real. Like, who is, who are the guys that you can legitimately win with? Because I think what's happened is, for years, we've just assumed, like, oh, Ottawa's got this great young core, and it's, you know, it's just going to happen. It's a matter of time. Well, guess what? We're now into year seven of them, potentially, seventh season of them missing the playoffs. And now for all the people that were, were the, all the consternation in the marketplace about DJ Smith this and DJ Smith that, okay, well, he's gone. So now it's about, you know, figuring out where all the puzzle pieces fit. Because, because I, I, to me, you need to know by the end of the year, are the guys that are on this roster, are they the ones that you think you can win with? So that's, it's, it's all about identifying those guys in the next four months. Ian, in your eyes, what do you think is missing with this Ottawa Senators team? I, I think, honestly, the schedule this year didn't do them any favors. You know, with how many games they had to make up, you know, going over to Europe, um, you know, having success over there. But then you come back, you got like six, seven games in hand on everybody. It just puts more pressure on the team, you know, for not getting off to the start that they envisioned. But, you know, I look at this team, they've got great talent up front. They've got, you know, great players on defense you know mostly two or three of those guys when you're talking about Shabbat uh, Chikorin and Sanderson they improved their goaltending but it just seems like it's the same story with this Ottawa Senators team they play exciting hockey but they can't keep the puck out of their net so what do you think is missing with this group yeah and, and you know it's funny though Carlo because I think if you look at the way that the schedule came out for Ottawa there was two ways to look at it one and now they've obviously embraced uh, the fact that, oh, this was a bad schedule and there wasn't enough games and there was lots of gaps. I, I think you could have looked at it and said they had the softest, easiest schedule in the NHL the first two months. Mm-hmm. It was like 80, 80% of the games were at home. They had large gaps and large breaks. There was no reason to, you know, yeah, sure, they, they would have had games in hand on people, but they had an easy schedule, so to speak, and they didn't take advantage of it, and it was home heavy. And so, um, you know, w- when you look at the team, like I, I think – like, if you pulled D.J. Smith aside and asked him, like, what went wrong here? Like, on, and you, you injected him with some truth serum. I think he would tell you that he was undermined by goaltending, by injuries, and by just, you know, just a lack of consistency from the group. But, but mostly those first two things are, are the ones that I, I think he would point to. And, I, and I, I, I tend to agree to some extent that the goaltending has absolutely let them down. Uh, and again this season, but but guys, at some point, it's not the goalie's fault, right? Like mm-hmm. like if you go back the last three or four years in Ottawa, you know it, you know it was Matt Murray's fault, then it was Philip Gustafson's fault, then it was Cam Talbot's fault, and now it's it's Corpus Allo and and Forsberg's fault. Well, I I think the problem is Talbot and and to a lesser extent Gustafson this year, but certainly Talbot, they've gone to other places and they've thrived. So what is it? Like, is it bad goaltending or a bad system? And, 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 I, and I think they just needed a reset. They just needed to change it up. Um, and I think DJ Smith, for, for, the, for the most part, was a really well-liked guy in that room. 
but they had to change it up. So now the feeling is, okay, let's bring in a new system or at very least a new mindset. It was time for a new voice. And, and we'll see now with Jacques Martin and Daniel Alfredson in there, um, will that be the thing that, that turns this around? But really, I think injuries and goaltending have not helped this team over the last couple of seasons. And you know, to to Ottawa's surprise, you know, every team that has made a coaching change has gotten the new coach bump. And you're seeing this this the Ottawa team fire their coach, Jacques Martin take over, but they haven't really experienced that new coach bump. I mean, they're one and two. They get a great win in overtime on Saturday night to go into the break on a good note, but they did it you know, choking away a lead in the third period against the the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, you know, obviously Jacques Martin isn't going to be the long-term option, but what do you expect to see from a Jacques Martin coach team? And do you have an inkling on who Ottawa may be looking at as a long-term solution there? Yeah, and, you know, it's funny because we talk about the new coach, Bob, right? We saw it in Edmonton with Knobloch. We saw it in Minnesota with Hines. St. St. Louis. Louis, right? They all made the yeah. change, and they all would win, you know, two or three games right away. Um, and, you know, in Edmonton's case, they, they really kind of – it felt like at times to turn the corner. Um, so Jacques Martin has coached three games in Ottawa – or for Ottawa. And here's the funny thing. They've had a multiple goal lead in every game. Mm-hmm. And they were up by two – actually, they were up by three in Arizona last week, and they lost. They were up by two in Denver, which, as you guys know, is a tough place to play, and they lost. And then against Pittsburgh, again, they're up. They got a two-goal lead, uh, and they choke it away, and they come back and win. So uh, it's not like they're just coming out here and they're just getting smoked. And now, like, like they're so close, guys. They're close. The Jacques Martin factor is, and, and Jacques Martin is the same guy that was behind the bench in all those great Battle of Ontario games, uh, you know, twenty some odd years ago. He, and, and, and the funny thing is, the reason why Jacques got kind of run out of town in Ottawa 20 years ago, where the clock expired on him, are the exact qualities that they desperately need now. And if you remember in those Battle of Ontario days, people were like, oh, Jacques Martin, he's too buttoned down. He's too conservative. Pat Quinn just played him like a fiddle in those playoff series. They needed more emotion, right? Like, that was the, that was the narrative going on in, in 2004. And now, it's like, boy... Boy, could we use the calmness of Jacques Martin in this marketplace? Could we use the, uh, you know, just the, the, the quietness? We just need some quiet around here. And, and he's an X's and O's guy. And, and I, I really implore a lot of Ottawa fans to go back and listen or watch Jacques Martin's post-game press conference from Saturday night when they beat the Pittsburgh Penguins. And him talking about building the foundation and changing the mindset and turning Tim Stutzla into a 200-foot player and changing the mindset of this group and making them believe that they're a good team, but to take that next step, they got to leave the points in the rearview mirror. It's not about scoring. It's about, as you said earlier, Carlo, it's keeping the puck out of your net. So he's going to do all those things. And I think what's really going to help is Jacques Martin can point to uh, Marion Hossa and Zdeno Chara and Daniel Alfredson, and he can say, I was the guy that set the foundation for those guys to become Hall of Famers. I, I think in particular Hossa and Chara. Like, like, who knows where they end up down the road if they're Hall of Famers, but, but Jacques instilled something in them. And he can do that with Tim Stutzla and Josh Norris and, and you know Brady Kachuk and Jake Sanderson, all these guys. He can say to them, 
I can make you great, but you got to buy in. And I, and I think that there, there's got to be an element of buy-in now from the players. So two teams looking to find quiet, says to me, bet the over in tonight's game. Uh, Ian, <laughs> listening to some of your answers, is there a sense of delusion in the fan base? Or maybe not delusion, just is, is this a fan base that is, I don't know, uh, angry? Is this a fan base that's like, wait a minute, I thought we were going in one direction, and now we're going in a different one. Like, this is what I, I, I think I, I'd like people to understand that maybe don't live in Ottawa. And, and this, this would go for Buffalo fans, too. The people here are not delusional. They're not impatient. They are just tired. They're exhausted. And, and you right. guys know this from your marketplace. When, and, and the window wasn't that long from, like, you know, in that sort of – 2014, 15, 16 range for the Maple Leafs where, you know, people were, that was kind of the, you know, Peter Horacek was coaching the team and like, and like, you just didn't know where they were going, right? But they, they finally turned the corner and, and, and everything, they've been off and running, at least been a playoff team the better part of the last six or seven years. But for Ottawa, this is seven years, okay? And, and where I think it's important to point out that it's seven years is this is going to be one of the, this is one of the longest droughts in NHL history of, of missing the postseason. Um, there, I think there's only nine teams in league history that have had a drought uh, that have lasted eight seasons or more. And, and, and I think the danger for Ottawa is you don't want, well, Buffalo obviously is a cautionary tale, but you don't want to become, you know, the team I point to a lot, you guys remember those early 2000s Florida Panthers teams and they had Ole Okunin and Nathan Horton and Jay Bolmister and Stephen Weiss. And we yeah, got Bobby Lou and, and you were just like every year you're like, well, at some point they'll turn around. That's the course really good guys. They went 10 years. They didn't make the playoffs. Like it, like at some point it, it just, it doesn't work. And, and what I think I want people to understand is the fans are not delusional here. They're not, they're just, there's, it's such a, it's a smart fan base. They're just tired yeah. of it. And, and, and I think sometimes Buffalo and Ottawa fans, uh, they sometimes they get a bad rap when there's some empty seats. Sometimes at these venues and like, but it's not empty seats because they don't care. It's empty seats to send a message is if you win, we'll show up. Show up. When, you, yeah. when you have a clown rodeo for more than five or six years, don't put that on us. And, and that's the disappointing thing for Ottawa. And, and I'm not suggesting that it's a clown rodeo again now, but you, you, you have to understand you got to be a little empathetic to them. Because it's been a tough year when you finally felt like you got a new owner who's just been fantastic. And, and everything was supposed to be great. And now you kind of feel like, like you know, you're being pulled back into the past with some of the, the weird things that have happened off the ice this year and, and the losing. It just kind of feels like you're stuck in this time warp. And, and you can't help but, but feel for those fans that, that, are, that you know, emotionally and, and, and financially invested in this team. Ian, a pleasure. Thank you for doing the show. Check out his work at The Athletic. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, have a great day, guys. Thanks for having me. Take care. That is Ian Mendez. Coming up on the other side, winners of the weekend. And also, Carlo, uh, he mentioned the name Peter Horacek. It, oh, I got shivers. On the other side, I'll give what his winning percentage was as the intern oh, coach no. of the Toronto <laughs> Maple Leafs as well. We will do that. Winners of the weekend. And Peter Horacek, next.